today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. We're going to bring in Michael Tobe, Troy Media Syndicated columnist, contributor to the Washington Times, former speechwriter for Stephen Harper. We're, we were initially going to talk about U.S. politics, but I have a feeling we may not even get there today. Uh, but they're all great discussions with Michael. Michael, thank you so much for the time. Hope you're doing well. I am indeed, Scott. Hope you are, too. So let's start with, obviously, uh, what has happened in London. Family of four, Muslim faith mowed down. A uh, nine-year-old boy survives. His family is gone. Uh, almost immediately, within uh, a short time after, uh, the, the police have been quite mum about this, but have said that this is a hate crime. Uh, the prime minister even coming out and calling this a terror attack. I remember when the, the prime minister would never even use those words. Yeah. Um, uh, what are your thoughts on that alone, on the way the prime minister has been positioning this? The way the prime minister's been positioning it? Yeah, um, because it was a time when he would never say that word. Yeah, no, 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 no. Um, I, I wouldn't go as far as terrorist attack as of right now. It, it was obviously a horrific event. It was a heartbreaking event. And this poor family, you know, torn down by what appears to be a hate crime, or it seems pretty clear. The, the London police is certainly saying it that way. And I think most people are accepting that that was the modus operandi for whatever reason. It's disgusting. You know, it, you know, Canada is a good place overall. It's imperfect. We obviously have issues that we deal with in many different ways. Racism is naturally one of them. But we don't expect incidents like that to happen in our country. It's not that they don't. We have obviously had hate crimes through the history of Canada, and we know that. Um, but this was actually very profound. And from the stories that I've heard from people who've appeared on radio and TV who either knew the family or, or or knew some of the children, they just seemed like they were just honest, forthright, hardworking people who wanted to succeed in this country and wanted Canada to continue to grow and to blossom in many different mm-hmm. ways, politically, economically, culturally, etc. Um, and, you know, I, I, there was one person who I know knew the family and said, and I'm just paraphrasing a little bit, that she felt that, you know, no one obviously deserved it, but they certainly did not as well because they wouldn't harm a fly. Yeah. They just seemed yeah. like good, honest, decent people, and it's disgusting what happened. There's no question of that, and we need to do better. We need to investigate it, and the person who perpetrated it needs to be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. We're, we we don't seem to know much about the suspect arrested at this point or if he is actually attached to anything terrorism-related. Any, no. Do we know anything there? Not that I've heard, and and that's why I think it's a little early to say this. Now, look, if it is linked to terrorism, then by all means, say so, push it forward, show yeah. the evidence, which they always do, and we, you know, we can move in that direction. But certainly, there's no question that if it is a hate crime, which it appears to be, then that should be prosecuted as such, and that in itself will at least, if nothing else, get to the, we hope, the root of the matter, and just find out why this person, you, who you're right, has been unidentified. I think we know that um, the male, 20 years old or, or thereabouts, why yeah. he did it. Uh, as this moves forward, what more can government do? Jagmeet Singh saying we must do more. What do we need to do more? What can we do to, to, to push this conversation forward? Well, Jagmeet Singh is not a good example to use. I mean, he basically went very hysterical in a lot of his commentary and basic and, and used descriptions of different groups, including Muslims, in a way that 
quite frankly, most Canadians don't think of people like that. You know, in Canada, we are far from perfect. We all know that, and there's no question of it. But we try our best to be an inclusive society, to bring people in, to work with them, to give them the ability to succeed, to fail, whatnot, but to be part of Canada and help grow our country. So I don't think people like Jagmeet Singh are helping at all. It's fine to be emotional about it, and it's understandable to be emotional about it, especially if you know the family directly or if you live in London, Ontario, or even if you don't, you just identify with it in some way. That part I get. But some of the, the instances or some of the examples that Mr. Singh used, I just don't think were helpful right now, even if we are all hurting, even if we are all wounded. I think that we have to be more realistic about it. And most people on the political right and political left, I think, are looking at it more rationally. You know, um, uh, it's interesting you said that about uh, about Jugmeet Singh, because in regard to uh, I noticed this a little bit with the Kamloops uh, uh, story and uh, with this story as well, as that everybody knows that this is not right. Everybody knows this is disgusting, horrific, all of those things. Yep. But I think what and, and we all know this is extremism. No two ways sure. about it. Absolutely. You know, the average person doesn't think this way. This is mental no. illness or extremism in some form. Yes. Um, but Jugmeet Singh would label far right extremism, which I, which just, you know, and I like Jugmeet Singh. I don't agree with his politics, uh, politics at all, but I, mm-hmm. I, I think he's a great leader. I think he connects with young people. Uh, I admire him for what he has accomplished. But as you said, as soon as you start saying, from the extreme left, that this is all about the extreme right, man, that is just divisive politics, yep. and that's not where the solution lies. And you know, uh, the, la- the 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 issues of the last couple of days have kind of tarnished my opinion of Jugmeet Singh, and he certainly knows this more than I do. I, I don't pretend to to say that's not the case. However, I, I really don't believe that identifying the far right or the far left, it, it doesn't matter which of the left or the right extreme it is, they're yeah. both dangerous. And I think all he's doing by mentioning one is inflaming the other or vice versa. Well, exactly. And he's stirring the pot and making it worse, which I don't think yeah. helps things at all. And look, I, um, you know, as a person, I'm sure I've not met him. I've, I know people who've met Jagmeet Singh, and they say nice things about him individually. I think his leadership skills, quite frankly, he's a mediocrity. He's been a mediocrity since day one. He barely rose in the Ontario NDP. He was given the chance, obviously, to jump ship, move to Ottawa, and become the leader of the federal NDP. I think he's, quite frankly, blown it time and time again. But that's obviously due to a lack of inexperience. He's not a politically experienced person. He has not sat in cabinets. He has not held certain files. He has not been exposed to things that, you know, might make him a better leader, or maybe he just doesn't have it in him. But that's neither here nor there. Whatever Mr. Singh's ability is or isn't is up to the voters to decide. The language that he used, which you mentioned, Scott, is what bothers you and bothers me. And I would hope not only bothers most of the listeners, but bothers most Canadians because he's not helping solve the issue. He's making the problem worse when he uses languages like that and gets too emotionally wrapped up, which you could hear in his voice, which started to crack yeah. when he was talking. He, you know, if that's the case, if it's, and again, I don't know him, but if, if this is the way he handles certain problems or difficulties, 
One, he's not going to go very far in Canadian politics because you have to have a much tougher spine than that. But two, if you know that you get very emotionally involved, maybe it's best for someone like Mr. Singh to take a bit of a step back for a day or so, think things through, and then come forward. You can still be emotional. You can still bring out the same sort of ideas and concepts, but not sound like you're being, as I said before, hysterical when you're standing in front of the microphone. But again, this is up to him. It's up to his handlers. It's up to the NDP to make that decision when to go or what, or what to say and what not to do. I just don't think he's helped at all. And you're right. I think that people who did appreciate him or respect him for various reasons, and I'm sure there are some Canadians, I'd be very stunned if they still necessarily all think that way. Or even if, let's say, 30, 40, 50 percent of them have changed their minds, I think that the change, the way that they look at him or perceive him has probably shrunk quite a bit based on the way he's handled himself the past few days. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. I, I think of the most successful NDP leaders, uh, Jack Layton, Bob Ray. And they, they, they At Broadband, they didn't go around... Pocus, poking at no. the extremes, they what no. they, they and they moved the party more to the center, and 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 that's how they became more successful. And they've seemed to have just abandoned that. They really have. And I have met several NDP leaders. I've met Jack Layden. I've met Ed Broad. I met Ed Broadbent. Um, did I meet Tom Mulcair? No, I have not. But I've met. A There's another great example, though. Yeah. But, you know, but again, we know that if they were standing here, if, you know, some of them are obviously not with us any longer and some have retired. But if they were standing in front of the microphone, you know that they would be angry. You know that they would be frustrated and you know that they would be emotional because most Canadians feel the same way. But I agree with you that in all those cases and others, they would have handled themselves in a much more dignified manner, I think, and in a less hysterical manner. And again, that's what the NDP has to deal with in their current leader and their past leaders. Yeah, I mean, there's lots to disagree with uh, politically, economically, ideologically, at least from my end of the political spectrum. But we would never have assumed that they would go out there and incite more anger, more hurt, more frustration, more rage, where unfortunately... I guess it's un- it's unfortunate, but Jagmeet Singh may just simply be a leader of the times, and it's too bad. But you know, it does happen. Let's talk about uh, the Kamloops Residential School and the 215 remains of students that were found uh, below that site. Uh, is this a tipping point in this discussion for Canadians? I think it might be, and it's unfortunate that it had to be something like this that caused it. And Obviously, I'm not the first person to have said it. Many others have, too. But when you hear stories like this, and we know that the history of residential schools in Canada has been filled with a lot of terrible, horrifying stories that have led to suffering of individuals, families, or death, as we've now seen, when they found those 215 bodies in Kamloops, I think it was probably a wake-up call for a lot of Canadians to find a way forward to ensure that the native Canadian communities and the rest of Canada are able to sort of build a decent working relationship, which, yes, at times has existed. You know, conservatives have obviously struggled more than liberals have in terms of building a good working relationship. One, because we've governed the country less of the time of of our nation's history. And also, two, many of the native Canadian leaders tended to be pretty left-leaning, and they obviously 
identified more with the liberal party and the, in the sort of the, the liberal philosophy. But irrespective, you know, conservative, you know, even when I worked for uh, Stephen Harper, the conservative government had its wins and losses with the native Canadian community. And the liberals have had wins and losses, including several losses under Justin Trudeau, the current prime minister, who's spoken heavily about truth and reconciliation. But if you actually look, a lot of native Canadian leaders have expressed disappointment with the current prime minister. So nobody is perfect. We're all to blame. It's a very difficult issue, and it's difficult to build a working relationship when you've had these sorts of historical grievances. We understand that. But there are ways to do it. And I believe that if this horrible event that has happened or this horrible discovery in Kamloops can actually have one positive attribute, maybe it is that Native Canadian leaders and Canadian leaders can sit down and try to hash out something, because I think we've come to that point. Um, the, the Canadian government involved in a court challenge now, and a, a lot of it due to jurisdiction and who's responsible for what, whether it's the province and, and the feds or the feds. Obviously, this is incredibly, incredibly complex. Should you walk away from things like this, the way opposition is asking and let these and let these cases go through, or does this require some sort of guidelines to follow while doing it? Uh, who's right here? I'm sorry, I apologize. I may have lost you for a little part of it. For what jurisdiction are you referring to? No, they're they're talking about in uh, the court cases. The uh, opposition is demanding that uh, the and and of course the the cabinet abstain from the vote uh, that these court cases involving compensation to victims oh. of residential schools are getting stuck in court and the yeah. the compensation isn't making its way through. Although they're they're saying that uh, you know more clarity needs. Uh, needs to be done in whose jurisdiction this is, federal or provincial. Is this passing the buck? Is this kicking it down the field? Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't catch that part of it. Okay, yes. Uh, to deal with compensation, well, I, I know for a lot of people the frustration will be that you're kicking the can down the road, which we've done obviously many times before. But yes, I think in matters like this, you know, these cases are obviously very difficult, whether it deals with the Native Canadian community whether it deals in the United States, which, you know, there have been talk of obviously reparations for uh, black families who were through slavery. A lot of these issues are obviously very, very difficult to fight in the courts of law based on existing pieces of legislation or laws and what they sort of believe. If you believe that, say, the Constitution or if you believe law in itself is a living document or a living tree, that it obviously can build to sort of modern complexities and modern instances and try to fit it under that realm or that umbrella. Compensation is a difficult issue. I mean, obviously, we know that certainly when it comes to residential schools and the survivors of those families, this issue has been discussed a lot. And there certainly is an argument to be made that some compensation is probably entitled. But the question is, how much and to whom and how do you actually sort of factor all these things in? As easy as it is for some people to say, yes, give it, give it, we have to actually sort of identify in sort of in stages of what step one, two, three, how to get to that point, and if we should even get to that point in the first place. So I don't think you necessarily have to put it in the back burner, but again, I think it's a very difficult issue to go through, especially when, the, as I said before, the relationship between Native Canadian communities and the rest of Canada, you know, it's not necessarily at loggerheads, but there obviously are still a lot of uh, a lot of issues that cause a consternation and problems that they have to deal with 
whether it be land treaties, residential schools, or just, you know, trying to ensure that Native Canadians, Native Canadians have the same hopes, dreams, and aspirations that other Canadians have, but they feel they don't due to many years of just, you know, a difficult history in this country. It's a tough issue, Scott. It's not something that you can necessarily yeah. wrap up in one question with an answer that I usually have about two to three minutes in. And I can't change Canadian history no more than you can, the listeners can, or any of us can. But again, these sorts of issues, compensation, dealing with residential schools, uh, facing our history, and building better relationships, these take time, but we have to do them. A new Leger poll out today, 66% of Canadians blaming the Catholic Church, 34% blaming the government. Are we looking for someone to blame? Are we looking for a statue to take down, a name to change in order to feel better about ourselves, when in the end it was Canadians that voted for these people? It was Canadians that have supposedly read this information that's been around for decades. Are we looking for someone to blame other than ourselves? Well, I think we've been looking for someone to blame the last couple of years, quite frankly. It just depends on the issue. I mean, as you probably saw, well, it happened right in your neck of the woods. The high school, which is named Ryerson, is going to just voted to change its yeah. name, which is, I mean, that leads me to believe that in short order, based on what we saw happen with Ryerson University and the statue of Egerton Ryerson being torn down by a native Canadian activist and their allies, I wouldn't be shocked if the same thing starts to happen to that university. So I think we often do look for people to blame or situations to blame or groups to blame instead of sometimes, A, looking in the mirror, which is, un- which is hard to do, but we should, or B, recognizing that what we keep saying we should blame or we should, you know, we should change history, you know, modify it, eliminate certain things or take out all the bad and only keep the good. Well, it doesn't work like that, which is one of the many reasons why I don't believe in removing statues or tearing them down. If you want to build additional components to show another side of history and put it either right next to an existing statue of someone who may have had a bad past or had bad political views or personal views, that's perfectly fine. But we also must remember that, let's just again, to use the the statues as an instance, you know, a lot of these people were products of their times, and the times that they lived through were very different than the times we lived through. And while people yeah. obviously like to say that the line is completely straight from the 18th, 19th, 20th, and 21st century, it doesn't necessarily work that way. We have changed. We have modified. We do understand things, I think, a lot better in a more, in a more deep fashion, but we are far from perfect today, as we were very far from perfect many years ago. And to just simply wave your hands, remove certain types of history, or just blame certain groups and individuals and say we must change everything, readjust, that's not always the answer. I mean, change is good, change is healthy, we both know that, and I think listeners know that too, but we also have to recognize that history, the good, the bad, and the ugly, needs to be preserved at all times, whether we like it or not. Michael Tobe with us, Troy Media syndicated columnist, contributor to the Washington Times, former speechwriter for Stephen Harper. Maybe next time we'll get into the U.S., Michael. Uh, thank you so much for the time. Be well. You too. Take care. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.